Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. How goes your summer? Hope the weather being manufactured by the cabal is to your liking. Before we get to the main entree, allow me to direct you to the website, richardserrett.com. Let me spell the last name, S as in Simon, Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, richardserrett.com, where Albert Vinzel has posted some tasty little morsels and information bombs. Uh, For instance, uh, back in 2000, just before George W. Bush became president, the CIA published a 70-page report on what the world would be like in 2015. And now we're about halfway through the year, and it turns out that several of those predictions were right on the money. So on the slide carousel at richardserrett.com, you'll find a rundown of some of those predictions, and that was published in The Telegraph back in December of 2000. Uh, You'll also want to check out a story from the BBC Online reporting that life may have started on Mars before arriving on Earth. A major scientific conference is heard. New research uh, supports an idea that the red planet was a better place to kickstart biology billions of years ago than the early Earth was. And finally, a how-to guide to decoding the secret messages in your dreams, placed there, supposedly, by your very own spirit guides. Those are just a few of the must-read articles you'll find in the slide carousel atop of richardserrett.com. Another exhilarating read and well-researched is a brand new book from the man who previously published the groundbreaking The FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders, John Potash is back with Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Students for a Democratic Society, Panthers, Hendricks, Lenin, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. In the book, Potash reveals the U.S. intelligence has been the largest LSD trafficker in the world, and that many of the uh, more famous assassinations in the United States were... uh, Leaders targeted for assassination because they opposed the war, not just in Vietnam, but in a top opium-growing area. He also reveals that the CIA's MKUltra had a hit list of opposition leaders to dose with LSD and other drugs. Undercover agents supposedly dosed musicians, writers, and political activists, both in the U.S. and abroad. And get this, George Harrison's dentist according to Potash, gave him and John Lennon their first doses of LSD covertly. That's right, without their permission. And Jimi Hendrix's manager, once in Britain's MI6, reportedly admitted murdering Jimi. These are but a few of the startling revelations in drugs as weapons against us. And a great pleasure to welcome John Potash to The Conspiracy Show. John Potash, how are you? Good. Thanks for having me on, Rich. My pleasure. Drugs as weapons against us. Who is the us in this equation? Well, most of the population, 99.9% of the population, I would say. Now, uh, you, you talk about the, um, the uh, Anglo-American oligarchy that is really behind uh, this, uh, you know, flooding the United States, oh, well, the Western world and, and beyond, really, mm-hmm. with, with uh, cheap drugs, addictive mm-hmm. narcotics. Um, where, I mean, it, it almost harkens back to... Uh, the opium wars uh, against China in the 19th century, where they were, uh, you know, the empire was waning, they were trying to gain access to the, the Chinese market, and so they flooded mainland China uh, with opium uh, in order to, 
I guess, you know, cause social unrest. Is that what's, is that what's going on? I mean, is there a parallel here? Yeah, I talk about uh, the opium wars in China in the first chapter of the book because it was the same uh, families that made so much money off of the uh, shipping of opium with the British East India Company and the American families such as the Russells that were part of that. And uh, the Russells were intermarried with the Pierponts of Julius Pierpont Morgan fame. And um, a number of the top families, the wealthiest families in the world right now, gained their fortunes either directly from the opium shipping during the opium wars or were beneficiaries of a lot of that wealth when uh, that was bequeathed to them when they graduated from some of the um, the clubs of Ivy League schools such as Skull and Bones or the Porcelain Club of, of Harvard because those clubs were started by the opium shipping families. So, and I and you're right about the Anglo, uh, you know, American, you know, oligarchs because they these oligarchs had uh, were incredibly bigoted against all other um, peoples that were, you know, Jews, Catholics. Um, immigrants, people of color, of course, that, you know, that when they started this eugenics movement in the early 1900s, they, they singled them out for sterilization and um, for even worse than that, um, passing laws in the majority of the states, you know, that were they were very bigoted and uh, really prejudiced against uh, poor people in general. But um, so that's why I say that 99.9% of us are really being targets of, of this group now, after the eugenics movement um, that was started in the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratories uh, after World War II, they started Operation MKUltra, where the CIA, which was a CIA operation, and it's in the same Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, you know, along with other offices of the CIA. But um, and through that, that was the framework. MKUltra was the framework for using drugs as weapons against us. And and. and and a lot of that, that, that technology or that, that, um, uh, that system of, of, you know, fracturing one's psyche, uh, mm-hmm. ca- inducing a dissociative disorder, uh, that, that, that came to us th- through the, uh, through Operation Paperclip. That, that came from the Nazi scientists, right? Yeah, they, they first experimented with those kinds of, um, this kinds of operate, you know, this kinds of techniques, yeah, in the concentration camps, you know, the Nazi scientists were using, were trying that. They were, they were the first to experiment with psychedelics um, on concentration camp victims, and then um, Operation Paperclip, yeah, saved about 800 uh, Nazi scientists. Another operation, Operation Sunshine, saved, um, you know, estimated between five and ten thousand Nazi agents that they sent to uh, Latin America. Who, and in Latin America, those Nazi agents set up the uh, cocaine trafficking networks and unseated democratically elected leaders in various Latin American countries in line with the cocaine lords um, and set up dictatorships in a number of those countries. So that's you know uh, another part of what was going on with the CIA operations uh, on, on behalf of the oligarchs. And when you say saved these Nazis, uh, literally, because many of them w- uh, would mm-hmm. have been at the end of the hangman's noose uh, after Nuremberg. Exactly. Or should yeah. have been. At sh- or should have, should have been. been. Should have been, right. And I quote um, one of the Nuremberg prosecutors who said, sadly enough, that the uh, Nuremberg trials were, were somewhat of a sham trial. They let some of these Nazis, like the IG Farben representatives, IG Farben had run Auschwitz. Um, they were a huge chemical corporation that was intertwined with the Rockefeller interests at one point. But um, 
they they allowed them to go free and just go through their files and just shred their files so they wouldn't you know be prosecuted so they couldn't be prosecuted so some of them you know got uh, very short terms and then were let go and then you know landed in top board positions in in other countries so um yeah sadly enough they they uh prosecuted very few people in Nuremberg and they actually saved loads of people. I mean, you know, for example, I talk about Klaus Butcher of Lyon, Barbie, because in Bolivia he uh, helped operate, you know, he helped capture Che Guevara and killed Che Guevara. John Potish, uh, my guest, author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lenin, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Uh, right now we're talking about uh, how... Uh, drugs were used as part of MK Ultra, and explain how that works in in terms of of um, like the use of drugs in order to create, for example, a Manchurian candidate. Well, well, that's that was one sub operation that I don't talk a lot about because it's more controversial. I do show how they did um, use drugs like scopolamine, tuinols, and secanols, a uh, number of different hyp- psychohypnotic drugs. To induce hypnosis and to um, and you know help when they and find people that are susceptible to hypnosis. Like um, for example, a Harvard-trained psychiatrist uh, studied Sirhan Sirhan for six hours um, and and decided that Sirhan Sirhan was actually hypnotized and when and was under hypnosis when he you know supposedly fired those shots at, at uh, Robert F. Kennedy. It was Rohypnol so, in that big urn of coffee, wasn't it? Well, um, yeah, I don't know. Rohypnol could have been used, too. Um, Rohypnol was actually used on Kurt Cobain, hmm. uh, believe it or not. It was uh, Courtney Love's prescription, and uh, he, he was induced, you know, he went into a coma on Rohypnol. And, um, it's, you know, they're roofies. Uh, you forget what happened, be- you know, beforehand when you, when you uh, take them. And so it's, it's actually believed that Courtney Love put them in, uh, in Kurt Cobain's drink. Now, the other, what you're talking about, though, is it goes even further, and I show the evidence that, believe it or not, Courtney Love uh, was going to counseling at, at the age of three years old, according to you know biographies of her, and even her uh, own biological mother says she sent her to a counseling at that early age, and um, you know, as a counselor myself, I've never seen a three-year-old that you you, you really can't counsel three-year-old. No, no. I mean, so, their um, minds aren't even fully developed. For they're far from it. I mean, not until they're right. teenagers. Right. And so here she is going to counseling at three. She tells her bio- now her biological father lost custody of her because uh, um, her biological mother's parents were ex- extremely wealthy and actually paid off the uh, biological father's uh, lawyer to throw the case for custody. And the biological mother, a woman named Linda Carroll was an adopted uh, daughter of these wealthy parents. And um, Linda Carroll said she was sexually abused at a very early age by her, her adopted father, Jack Reesey. And, um, which, is another, which, which is another element of, of MKUltra, and that's you know, exactly, trauma, mass yeah, trauma. Exactly. And so, so here, you know, here's um, Courtney Love going to counseling at an early age, and she tells her biological father you know, later when her, her, she appealed to her father to get her out of a detention center that she was in at 13 years old, she said, my, my counselors sexually abused me from early on, and they also gave me two and alls and second alls. And I show how they were used by MKUltra, two and alls and second alls, to develop 
um, you know, these hypnotizable and uh, deviant you know, women, and I show the uh, women's testimony in federal hearings um, during the uh, Clinton years, these two women under a counselor who said she got called by 40 other counselors within a week of her signing up to, to give federal testimony about how she is counseling a number of women that were developed into dissociative states at an early age and then used by the CIA as prostitutes and assassins. And so these women uh, talked, they named the, the MKUltra director, Sidney Gottlieb, they named a high-level scientist, John Gittinger, and s- several other MKUltra scientists who, who tortured them at an early age to cause that dissociative state. And I show the evidence that, believe it or not, Courtney Love, that was developed that way, and that's why her biological father told me she was traveling with a CIA agent at the age of 17 years old for at least two or three weeks and and distributing uh, LSD all over the uh, London music scene and then doing the same in um, Portland and Los Angeles, the same way MKUltra agents were distributing LSD all over the London music scene in 1965, according to um, Ernest Hemingway's longtime editor, A.E. Hotchner, in his book about the Rolling Stones. All right, John, I have to cut in here. Uh, let's uh, take a quick time out. We'll come back and continue to discuss how the CIA uses drugs against us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. John Potash is with us. You mentioned the 1960s and the British invasion, which is kind of a curious name. It really was, in many ways, an invasion, though, wasn't it? It wasn't just, you know, Herman's Hermits and a lot of these seemingly innocuous, you know, British bands yeah. from the, the Mercy landing on U.S. shores. It was far more nefarious. It was an invasion, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I don't know what to make of the British invasion, but I do know what to make of this uh, Robert Lashbrook, the CIA agent, going to London, according to you know, I.E. Hotchner, and, and uh, having the assignment as part of CIM Ultra's operations to get acid in as many musicians' hands as possible. Right, right. That's, you know, therein and, lies the invasion, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. We actually invaded London and invaded these musicians' lives. When we um, you know, did that, and uh, according to U.S. intelligence documents, you know, LSD was used to better manipulate people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they thought that once they were tripping, it was more easy to manipulate them. And so um, the first way John Lennon and George Harrison used LSD was uh, George Harrison's dentist invited them over for dinner and then put it in their coffee against, without them knowing it. And so um, that how did you was find out? Excuse me, John. How did you find out about that? Yeah, Hotchner wrote about that in his... his um, okay. Well, yeah, actually, I'm sorry. No, that that was different. That was uh, Cynthia Lennon and Patty Boyd. Patty Boyd was George Harrison's right. girlfriend. Cynthia Lennon, of course, is John Lennon's wife, first wife. Just they were there, away. and they gave they gave eyewitness accounts of how that happened. Okay. And so, for a dentist to do that, you know, to to uh, risk his career to dose these high level, you know, you know, these wealthy, you know, popular musicians is incredible. So he must have knew he had legal immunity to do that. George Harrison didn't even know what LSD was in 1965. He said, LSD, what is it? And John Lennon said, it's a drug. And John Lennon was really pissed off. Now, people around Lennon convinced him, oh, well, it's a party drug and it's fun. And, and you know, got him out of his uh, fury. But um, he he was really upset about it at first. And um, 
people eventually convinced them to use it again, but um, it's a really strange phenomenon, and I, I show that this was likely in line with Lashbrook being there trying to get this you know, happening. And uh, so Mick Jagger, the first hit of acid he ever used, was from an F- undercover FBI agent named uh, Richard, uh, named David Schneiderman, or his, he also went by the alias Jove. Um, and it came out in the London Daily Mail, the London Daily Newspaper, that he was actually working undercover for the FBI. Now, um, A.E. Hotchner described the incident and described Marion Faithful's testimony that Mick Jagger had, was the last to try acid and didn't try acid until 1967, only when this undercover agent convinced him to. And after about a few hours after he tried the acid, uh, police came in and busted Jagger. And I argue, I show the evidence that the reason they did that is because Jagger was, him and um, Brian Jones were the most vocal against the Vietnam War, and so was John Lennon. It's interesting, though, in the, in the Rolling Stones, uh, that <clears throat> politics, I mean, it was not really reflected in their music. Well, they did have some songs that were that way, like Just a Shot Away, and, um, you know, certain other songs actually were, you know, did have some anti, anti-war statements. Right. Not overt, I, though. Not overt. I, I agree. I agree. They weren't as, uh, you know, outright as others. Because I think because I think they were scared. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they were scared is because of these assaults, the constant police frame-ups. Uh, Mick Jagger actually filmed, called a policeman on film, planting drugs on him, you know. And so Brian Jones, when he sobered up, and uh, they had him under, you know, legal authorities' thumb because they had busted him a number of times for drugs. And so when the uh, they wouldn't give him a visa or passport to go on the, um, you know, uh, Rolling Stones tour of America in 1968. So the rest of the Stones. So he founded the Rolling Stones, Brian. Jones. Sure, he yes. was the best musician. Absolutely. So he could pick the, up. Re- he could. It was said he could pick up any instrument and master it in in days, even if he had well, no prior experience. Yeah, I hadn't heard that. That's wild. Yeah, so that's probably a good reason that um, Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon were such good friends with him. But so the rest of the Stones go on um, tour in America and temporarily split from from uh, you know Brian Jones. But Brian Jones calls Jimi Hendrix and John Lennon, according to Hotchner, and they uh, agree to to form a supergroup with him. Oh, really? And, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'd never heard that. Yeah, yeah, that's in Hotchner's book, and um, and so um, after that happened, he had already been sobering up. Um, uh, a guy named Nick Fitzgerald, who was a member of the Guinness Beer family, um, was over uh, was over at Brian Jones's house, and Jones sent him to to town to pick up a friend. He comes back, and all of a sudden, there's a party at Jones's house. He can't get in the driveway. He walks around the back, and he sees three or four people drowning a man in Brian Jones' swimming pool. And uh, a guy jumps out of the bushes and says, "Get out of here, Fitzgerald! Or you'll be next." And it took many years, but many years later, he wrote that that was Brian Jones, and I can't believe, you know, they killed my friend. And uh, him and other witnesses are quoted in Hotchner's book, but, um, you know, that's basically what happened to Jones once he was sobering up and was a threat, you know, to form this supergroup, and he was the most, you know, one of the most vocal against the Vietnam War. They did him in. Uh, John Potash, uh, my guest, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, that's Students for a Democratic Society, Panthers, the Black Panthers, uh, Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Um, the, the timing um, of this, and we, we mentioned the British invasion, and I, just, I find it curious, of course, the Beatles come ashore, uh, appear on the Ed Sullivan Show in early 1964, just a few short months after uh, Kennedy's assassination, 
and after Kennedy's out of the way, of course, uh, the um, the uh, the war in in Vietnam begins begins to be ramped up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm wondering if if that timing was uh, was planned. In other words, if you want uh, you know to, to to sort of distract the American public mm-hmm. from the the um, you know the uh, the Warren report or the, uh, the the investigation into Kennedy, the up uh, the, the the war in Vietnam that's coming up. What better way than to introduce sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll into the culture? Yeah, I mean that certainly could be possible, Rich. No doubt about it. But um, I, I just do have a chapter on JFK because of the fact that JFK and RFK were both vehemently against MKUltra. JFK fired Alan Dulles, the, the, uh, who was the lawyers for the Rockefellers before they became, you know, director of the CIA and, and uh, Secretary of State. And um, so Alan Dulles is fired, and um, McCone takes his place, and McCone close, closes down uh, MKUltra and JFK's orders. And RFK was busting all the um, mafia heads who were trafficking uh, cocaine, like the Marcello family down in New Orleans, who were trafficking cocaine from Latin America. And the Chaffee family in Chicago were also involved with drug trafficking, along with the Genovese family, who were involved in opium trafficking. And um, and so that, uh, plus the fact that JFK had said we we're, we're going to have no more troops in Vietnam as of as of the next year, he, um, um, he was pulling back from Vietnam, and uh, and Vietnam was the location of the Golden Triangle. Uh, for opium fields, for poppy fields, um, on that edge of China where the uh, the best you know, opium was grown um, during the opium war war area, you know, against China, and so that area area was so important, I argue, um, because of those poppy fields, because uh, Air America was trafficking the heroin from the, that area to the United States and other countries, according to John Stockwell, CIA station chief, who told me this in 1990. And he made public speeches about how he, you know, he was part of that Air America drug trafficking ring for the CIA. And uh, he true, said, sorry, the, John, uh, just true or false? Uh, cocaine was actually smuggled out of Southeast Asia into the United States no, inside opium, the yeah. coffins. Uh, opium, sorry, inside the yes, coffins okay. of dead U.S. servicemen. Yeah, that's been said again and again. And I think that's true. I mean, a number of people have talked about that. Yes. Yeah, that, they say that's one of the ways they did it, sure. My word, it doesn't get any uh, more odious than that, does it? Yeah, and so that's you know that's some of the reason I show for the evidence why they did it in JFK and RFK for the same reason. Um, you know, of course, he was very against MKUltra, and they ran MKUltra behind their backs anyway. Richard Helms had a uh, office behind uh, McCone's back, and then um, when RFK looked like he was going to win the presidency, um, they used the, the hypnotized Sirhan Sirhan to help in that operation to kill RFK. And sadly enough, now with the musicians though, it was a it was a different matter. I mean, they were obviously, um, you know, they appeared to be manipulated to popularize these drugs such as LSD and heroin and other drugs. And uh, but then when they sobered up and started getting more into activism, they were done away with. You know, that's the pattern. The, gen- the pattern you see with Jimi Hendrix. Since uh, an MI6, you know, um, agent who said he left MI6, Mike Jeffrey, became inserted himself into Jimi Hendrix's life to be his manager, because uh, Hendrix first got big in, in Britain, not in the United States. That's right. Yes. And um, and so 48 hours uh, after you know Hendrix fired Mike Jeffrey, 
Um, Jeffrey admitted when he was drunk to a roadie who just came out with this in a memoir with the last few years ago. Tappy, Tappy Wright. Yeah, Tappy, Tappy Wright. Wright. Yeah. yeah. He has said that, you know, uh, Mike Jeffrey, you know, killed Jimi Hendrix. He admitted killing Jimi Hendrix. Now, how do you, you get a, you know, a bunch of killers to kill your musician in just 48 hours? You obviously have to be connected to U.S. intelligence. And I show all the evidence that he was connected, I'm sorry, to British intelligence. But, um, you know, FBI had uh, Jimi Hendrix under regular super, you know, surveillance, too. The documents show that. But And, and, and how much of the uh, introduction of, of uh, opium and, and other drugs into the United States uh, had to do with, um, you know, the purposes for MKUltra? And how much of it had to do with just uh, sort of, you know, creating this whole age of Aquarius uh, psychedelia as a way of controlling the population at large. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the purpose. The purpose was to control the population at large because youth was getting so much into civil rights activism, so much into anti-war activism, and uh, they wanted to do the opposite. You know, they Timothy Leary admitted working for the CIA and uh but he had, was telling people to turn on tune in drop out meaning drop out of activism drop out of society just at the time when when so many youth were doing the opposite they were getting into activism and so that was what they were trying to do but of course the opiates you know um were just just hurting you know communities at large um you know people said it was scary to even to go outside and hang out on your porch anymore and it's, you know black neighborhoods got extremely scary because the opium seemed to be directed into black communities in general but uh communities of color um but of course it affected all communities eventually and um you know it was, it was just uh that's the way you can really destroy a community is, is get opium into that community heroin into the community cocaine in that community in the 80s and, um, of course, there was a resurgence of heroin with uh, in the 90s. And that, that kind of sprang up, according to John Stockwell, because the CIA assets were creating a new uh, you know, top area for, for poppy fields, which was the Golden Crescent for uh, poppy fields um, in, around Afghanistan. And he said that start, Stockwell said that that started being um, cultivated in the late 70s and got bigger and bigger up until the, in 1990. And so um, that's at the other end of the exact same mountain range. The two ends of that mountain, the same mountain range, one, one end is the Golden Triangle around Vietnam, the other end is the Golden Crescent in Afghanistan. And I show that the evidence that it's no coincidence that those are the areas of America's two, lar- two longest wars ever. There you go, John. I will take a time out. We'll come back and continue to delve into Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Keeping an eye on the New World Order, this is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We are back with John Potash, author of Drugs as Weapons Against Us. I wanted to talk a little bit more about Air America, going back uh, to the Vietnam War. Many uh, U.S. servicemen that served in Vietnam came back as addicts. Were the, the drugs, the opium and other drugs, sort of doled out liberally to servicemen? Was, was that the idea, to get them addicted even before they came home? I don't know. I don't know exactly how they uh, developed their addiction. I just know that Air America 
was flying in opium and heroin, you know, to the United States in a big way. But you're right, yeah, lots of servicemen were were getting opium over there in, in the Golden Triangle area, um, you know, in Vietnam and in the areas around Vietnam. But um, I don't know exactly how they got it to them and um, what they thought of that. Um, but, uh, you know, I know a lot of them started getting very politically active, you know, a lot of soldiers, and were actually organizing against, you know, uh, fighting. And a lot of them were actually fragging, um, which is uh, using fragment, uh, kind of what they call it, uh, fragment explosion devices, throwing grenades into their superiors' um, barracks to blow them up throwing grenades into helicopters to blow them up and just sabotaging their own army's war, you know? Right, right. Uh, you you alluded earlier to the crack cocaine uh, trade in Los Angeles and some of the poorer mm-hmm. neighborhoods there, African-American neighborhoods, Hispanic neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, uh, uh, I'm not sure, did, did you did you uh, allude at all to, to Gary Webb and, and his yeah, I do. pieces in the I San Jose Mercury News? Right. Talk a little bit about Gary Webb's investigative pieces for the San Jose Mercury News in this area. Yeah, well, Webb basically just found the you know the uh, Iran Contra crack uh, you know, scandal, like researched that, researched Freeway Ricky Ross and and his suppliers uh, amongst the Contras, how uh, these Contra uh, these Contras who were organized by the CIA to fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. Because the Sandinistas were a socialist group that, that um, you know, that, that took over Nicaragua, and uh, the CIA was uh, was doing it kind of behind Congress's back. Congress ordered us to stop funding the Contras at one point, so they they um, started raising money for the Contras by um, selling, helping them sell cocaine and giving them guns, and uh, they basically got very cheap cocaine into uh, a lot of, you know, dealers' hands and turns dealers like Freeway Ricky Ross into national suppliers. And crack became the cheapest way to start developing a cocaine addiction. And I show the evidence that they were actually not just using, you know, uh, these CI assets and the Contras, but they were developing whole networks. And Gary Webb talks about that. He talks about how um, some of the operatives that were acting in J- in Jamaica to try to overthrow um, the Democratic Socialist um, Prime Minister, a guy named Manley, who was friendly with um, Bob Marley, um, they were trying to overthrow him. They were trying to you know, beat him in the election with a, a more right-wing candidate. And they had these, um, these Jamaican gangs that were um, trying to uh, basically embezzle from Bob Marley, and then they ended up um, shooting him. Um, and some of the people that shot Bob Marley said they admitted they were paid by the CIA to do it. And um, Was that Bob Marley or Peter Tosh? Because I know Peter Tosh was killed in a home invasion. Yeah, Tosh was killed in a home invasion, but, but Marley was shot, as was his wife and his, his manager, but he didn't die in that. Um, he was shot right before he was supposed to give a concert for, um, you know, called the Small Concert right before the election. And that concert was going to be considered a support of Manley, who was his friend and neighbor. And um, so when that happened, uh, Manley put him in an encampment uh, to try to, you know, make sure he saved him before the concert. And and, um, and then Marley uh, was visited by an undercover agent named um, David, I think his name was David Colby. It was basically uh, William Colby's son, or I think his, uh, it was basically the son of the CIA director, had uh, had infiltrated um, a film crew, 
the coin to uh, another member of the film crew, namely Lou Lee, and gave gift shoes to Bob Marley. And uh, Bob Marley tried them on and got got uh, stuck by a pin in the bottom of the shoe and uh, just said, ow, but they didn't think anything of it. But then he uh, was playing soccer and that got, got that toe crushed. That had gotten pricked and uh, they found it had cancer. It spread through his body and ended up killing him within a few years. All right, John, we have to take another time out. We'll come sure. back and uh, delve into this fascinating, nefarious chapter, ongoing chapter in uh, U.S. history. Drugs as weapons against us. Back with more. Stay with us. Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. We're back with John Potash. Drugs as weapons against us. The CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Uh, John, give us a website, uh, and also, uh, how can we get the book? Sure. It's uh, www.johnpodash.com, and you can get the book through Amazon, or you can get it at Barnes & Noble, um, or Books a Million, or independent bookstores. Did you have any trouble finding a publisher for this book? I mean, this is pretty incendiary stuff you're writing. Yeah, um, well, it just so happened that the first, uh, I, I sent it to a few people, but the, one of the first person, first people who saw it, uh, was a publisher who said his father had been a CIA agent and, uh, warned him that his agency was drugging his whole generation in the 1960s. And so he said he was waiting for a book like mine, and so he was really glad to, you know, see it and was really glad to publish it. So, so it seemed to be a good fit. It worked out with Trine Day Press, Trine Day Publishing. But um, so I was telling you, telling you about Jamaica, and the reason I was getting into that so much was the fact that those same, uh, the same Jamaican gangs that um, were part of the networks that were bringing in cocaine and heroin to, into Jamaica, and that shot up Bob Marley, um, you know, though he didn't die then. Uh, were then brought into uh, the East Coast of the United States, both Miami and Brooklyn and set up um, cocaine trafficking uh, routes up and down the east coast of the United States. Now, on the west coast, there was another like kind of um, a group of people, a network. It was Freeway Ricky Ross, who was getting his, his cocaine very cheaply from these uh, CIA assets who were working with the Contras. Did he know and at then, the time that his paymasters, in fact, were CIA? Don't know. I don't know if he actually knew or not. He must have been uh, suspicious, though. He knows now. Hmm. Yeah, he doesn't know now. That's for sure. He's speaking out about it, actually. Um, but underneath two, the two understudies, Gary Webb says uh, that Rick, Freeway Ricky Ross had two key understudies, and one was a guy named Michael Harry O. Harris. And the important thing about Michael Harry O. Harris is he started a record label with his uh, lawyer, his very well-connected mafia lawyer named Dave Kenner, and that record label, label was called Death Row Records. Now, that record label ended up being uh, a record label that had dozens of police officers at all levels of it, and it was known to be uh, drug trafficking and gun running, according to investigators. And when one of those investigators, a guy named Russell Poole, a high-level white police detective, asked his superiors, what are all these my fellow officers doing over this record company? His superiors said, you can call them troubleshooters or or covert agents. And I showed the evidence that they had several missions besides just drug trafficking and gun running and trying to, to uh, stop the Bloods versus Crips peace truce because uh, the Bloods and Crips were calling peace truces and turning on to activism nationwide. 
Um, they also were, were supposed to set up the murder of Tupac Shakur. And the reason being is because Tupac Shakur was only pretending to be a gangster in order to appeal to gangs and politicize them as part of his Black Panther extended families work at calling this, you know, getting those Bloods and Crips to call peace truces and turn on to activism. And uh, they were being very successful at it nationwide. And so... Uh, had, had, and had, they, had the Bloods and Crips uh, made peace, then the CIA, CIA would have lost their biggest distributor. Exactly, exactly. And so that, that was a major operation through Death Row Records. And, um, and it turns out, um, of course, they, they, they did have some success, but not, not enough before they, they closed shop because after they uh, killed Tupac Shakur, um, a lot started coming out about them and a lot was exposed. Now, Russell Poole had to resign to expose what he found about them because he, cause his superiors were shutting his investigation down. But, um, yeah, that was part of what was going on with that. Um, and part of the reason Tupac was killed is because he was costing the oligarchs, you know, billions of dollars because all these gangs stopping drug trafficking was costing a lot of money. Like all these, you know, banks you hear about, they're getting fined for, uh, hundreds of billions, you know, the fact, for the fact that they were, um, not, they were money laundering, um, hundreds of billions of dollars. Um, you know, they were losing a lot, a lot of money because most of the money laundered is drug money. You know, right, right. Uh, and um, um, you met, we were talking about Gary Webb, uh, mm-hmm. who, who, who talked, who wrote about this in the San Jose Mercury News. Yeah. Uh, and and of course we know that, that Gary ended up. Well, he was suicided. <laughs> uh, yeah. Officially, he was a victim of a, a suicide. But if you know it. It's they very shot suspicious. Twice in the head. Yeah, that's pretty difficult to do. Shoot yourself that's twice in the head. The other, the other person who who wrote and was very vocal about this was a former LAPD officer, and that was the, the late Michael Rupert. Um, yeah. And and uh, he also uh, ended up uh, a suicide. Yeah, it was very sad. He died around the same time as a as a guy who headed a group called the uh, Committee on Political Assassinations, a man named John Judge, who had. Um, Put, who had held several conferences that he, he featured me at um, in Howard University and University of District of Columbia Law School in uh, Dallas for the 50th anniversary of the JFK um, assassination. Yeah, he worked tirelessly along with um, a number of others uh, to get a lot of the uh, the JFK assassination, uh, uh, RFK assassination, and MLK assassination papers uh, released. Yeah. So it's yeah. very suspicious. Uh, you're right. Uh, all, in all it's, three cases. Um, it's very sad that they both died in, around the same time. In terms of, of the influx of, of, of cocaine, uh, for example, coming into the United States, mm-hmm. um, a, a great deal has been written about the fact that that came through uh, Medina, Arkansas, a municipal yeah. airport in Medina, Arkansas, uh, during yeah, a I time... Think, I think it's actually Mina, Mina Arkansas. I'm sorry, Mina, Arkansas, right. uh, yeah. at a time when, when Bill Clinton was governor. Right. Yeah, they say you know Bill Clinton was district attorney and then governor, and uh, there's just no way that you know lots of people say there's no way he didn't know that was happening, and that was probably like used um, you know basically to blackmail him. Like if you get out of line, we're going to bring all this up, because there was yeah there was loads of uh, cocaine coming through Mina, you know it was a big operation there, guns going to the Contras and and drugs coming in through Mina Mina Arkansas. And they say that Little Rock had the second largest bond market in the United States, and um, short of you know, New York City. 
and why. <laughs> you know, it's obvious it was drug related. Interesting, interesting. And and here he is uh, at the time. I, I remember uh, uh, Bill Clinton, governor of Arkansas, uh, making about forty two thousand dollars a year. Uh, and is completely nowhere on the political landscape. And then, uh, before anyone has heard of him, ABC News was proclaiming him the front runner uh, for, for the Democratic nomination. Yeah, just came out of nowhere. It's very suspicious. John Potash, yeah. drugs as weapons against us. The CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendricks, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Uh, so then, in, in light of all of this. I mean, to call the uh, the war on drugs uh, hypocritical, I mean, is a vast understatement because, uh, I mean, the the, uh, the CIA runs on 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 the availability of drugs. Uh, the the yeah. the privatized prison system used to be Wackahut. Uh, they've changed their name, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I mean, local sheriffs in these these small towns where the where the privately run Penitentiary is the only industry are running around busy filling these prison cells uh, with with uh, drug users uh, in order to drive drive up the stock price because these are publicly traded companies. I mean, if yes, this is not the sign it. of a sick society, John, I don't know what is. I know there's a film recently called Kids for Cash that judges were getting kickbacks for sending more kids into these you know juvenile detention centers and prisons. It's just so horrible. Kids were getting sent in, and judges were getting kickbacks for you know just for like a a fight, a schoolyard fight or something. It's really terrible, really ruining lives. And uh, so yeah, I just show the evidence that that drugs, you know, opposed, you know, it was the opposite of the war on drugs. It was drugs being used as a war on us, you know. And that's what's what's still taking place, sadly enough. I show the evidence that this is still going on. Some of the same. You know, people are, you know, even in 2001, a guy named William Picard was caught with, um, you know, with the supplies for ten millions, tens of millions of hits of acid. And he, and these articles on him had him have you know, government connections, connections to people that were um, in the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, which was Tim Leary's group with the Mellon Hitchcock family, which were U.S. intelligence connected. And um, here he is in 2001, the same, you know, involved with the same type of people. And then you got uh, CI's front company was the Human Ecology Fund, and now you got a group called the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, which is seeming to do the same things as the Human Ecology Fund was doing. Incredible amounts of money to try to promote acid. I, 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 I don't mean to jump around too much, but I do want to sure. go back to Lennon because we didn't talk about John Lennon, and uh, sure. I, w- I was, a, uh, you know, Lennon's death was sort of my my generation's Kennedy, I sure. think. Um, yeah, well, who doesn't love John Lennon? But um, there is a, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, mm-hmm. Lennon's uh, visit to Toronto when he was touring with the Plastic Ono Band in, in 1969. And uh, his visit with um, media guru Marshall McLuhan, uh, this was a very famous uh, meeting. It was kind of a private meeting. There were a few instructors mm-hmm. in attendance. And um, um, McLuhan took the opportunity to let Lennon know, apparently, that he was a useful fool. Uh, and that you know the Beatles essentially were uh, uh, the equivalent of I guess a, 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 a psychological warfare experiment uh, for the yeah. express purpose of of popularizing psychedelic drugs. And well, I didn't know McLuhan said that. That's wild. I and didn't as, know he said that. As Lenin, as rumor has it, Lenin stormed out of this meeting, 
but came back a few hours later and sat with McLuhan again and wanted to learn more. And this sort of set Lenin on this. This is, you know, this could be apocryphal. The meeting took place, but uh, this is kind of hearsay as to what was said. Uh, but this set Lenin on this new trajectory, uh, which may end up, may have ended up costing him his life. What, 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 what is the motivation, you think, uh, for, for Lenin's uh, death and, and Mark David Chapman's role? Patsy, uh, uh, or actual, you know, programmed assassin? I think, well, Fenton Bressler was a, um, British attorney who was also a, a daily crime reporter, you know, a daily newspaper mm-hmm. in London's crime reporter. He spent about seven or eight years investigating John Lennon's set, you know, murder and found, concluded that in his book, uh, Who Killed John Lennon, that the CIA did, you know, program or you know, hypnotize um, Dave Mark David Chapman and they used one of their operatives, an Atlanta uh, police officer, as a handler for Mark David Chapman. Um, that Atlanta police officer um, trained Chapman in, in marksmanship. He gave him the hollow point bullets with which he killed you know, John Lennon. Um, he, he helped guide Chapman to, to these different um, CIA front company kind of camps where they he kind of got him over to Lebanon where he would be exposed to all kinds of violence and killing to help with, you know, train him to, to do a killing while he was hypnotized. And um, so, you know, he shows up, Bressler shows a lot of the evidence, as does a, um, a good writer named Strongman, a British writer who's written a number of great uh, music books. Um, he wrote a good book on John Lennon, just saying some of the same stuff. Um, Strongman only added to Bressler's uh, thesis that there was another marksman also there who was part of the kind of uh, uh, Cuban anti-Castro group. That Perdormo, was, yeah. Yeah, right. Suddenly becomes the doorman unexpectedly at the Dakota. Exactly, right, right. And so that they, they did in John Lennon because he had sobered up and he was turning on to activism again. He had two new albums out. He was going to supposed to be leading a march of workers who were, who were protesting, you know, for, for better rights. And, um, you know, so he was coming back into activism and uh, threatening to promote more sobriety and activism and things like that right when Reagan was coming into office. And, yeah, and they did him in because of that. John, uh, great pleasure. I wish we had more time. We'll we'll uh, we'll have you back on and discuss further because uh, we didn't even That'd scratch great, the surface. Uh, John Potash, drugs as weapons against us: the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendrix, Lennon, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Definitely worth the read. Available at Amazon. Uh, thanks again, John. Thanks so much. It should be great to come back anytime you'd like. Hey, friends. Just a reminder: the website richardserra.com will soon be relaunched and rebranded as strangeplanet.ca or strangeplanet.tv. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. Get your free The Conspiracy Show app and take us with you wherever you go. And as always, follow the truth.